On this episode, I talk about a power grid attack. I examine the Athena Strand murder and how it can be applied to disappearances. I discuss the conviction of a local serial killer. And I cover a whole bunch of other stuff, including my most popular song for 2022, according to Spotify. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound Live for December 5th, 2022. Well, hello, everyone. How is everybody doing out there tonight? This is the Unfound Live show right here on YouTube. And it is, what is the date today? December 5th, 2022. I hope everybody, once again, is doing well. It was a uh, beautiful, beautiful day here in Clearwater Beach, Florida. And I actually got out at least a little bit today, had uh, one important thing to do that I'll get here uh, to it in a moment. But since you all are in here right now for this live show live taking place at 9 p.m. Eastern, please give this video a thumbs up. You know what to do. Give it the thumbs up. Just do it right now. If you are listening uh, as a podcast, this is now a podcast on Spotify and everywhere else. Please give Unfound Live, the podcast, a very nice review wherever you may be. Whether you're listening on Spotify, iTunes, wherever, Stitcher, you know all the places that Unfound is. And uh, subscribe. You may be finding this live show for the first time for whatever reason. I don't know where you've been. But um, subscribe to this channel. That helps us. And share this video if you think that there are other true crime people out there who should uh, be partaking in this one-of-a-kind true crime live show where yeah, I talk a little bit about unfound stuff, but I do a lot of national news as well. In fact, uh, more and more, that's becoming uh, that's what this live show is becoming. You also know I talk a little bit about my personal life because sometimes it's kind of funny. And uh, so like this, share this, subscribe, give it the thumbs up. And then Monday night, yes, Monday night, Valerie. And then on top of everything else, if you'd really like to help us out, um, Unfound continues to move forward, uh, moving into 2023 due to all of the support that people give us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Unfound Podcast. And then also here on YouTube, if you'd like a little bit of something different, you can hit the join button below and become a member that way. For the low, low, low price of 10 cents a day, you get some uh, extra stuff there. Um, some stuff that comes out early, you can get it if you become a member of this channel. So let's see who is in here, and then I will proceed into the cornucopia of uh, stuff I want to talk about. Hello, Karen. Uh, hey, hey to you, Karen. Hello, Fairy. 
assistant Carrie, what's going on? Carrie, uh, you wouldn't happen to have Bentley with you tonight. That would be spectacular if you did. But I'm going to say hi to Bentley right now, whether he's with you or not. Hello, Bentley. Good to see you out there. You take care, buddy. Thanks for watching. Hello, Deborah. What's up with Deborah? Good to see you. Suzanne, Jill, Sup, Paula, Mark, and Indy. Uh, I'm hoping everyone is well as well. Jasmine, moderator Sheree, good to see you. Um, thank you for moderating tonight. Valerie says Monday night. Carrie gave the thumbs up. Uh, Susie Q, uh, hi from Texas. Uh, yeah, we've covered a lot of disappearances there. In fact, uh, I was just on a phone call until about 15 minutes ago about a disappearance in Texas that I hope we can feature it uh, sometime in early 2023. Very uh, complex. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I don't, but we'll tell him. She said, you please. Thank you, Carrie. The real I'm here now. I was just finishing off a game of chess which I'm not very good at, by the way. I love chess, too. The real, I didn't know you were into chess. I'm into chess, too. Uh, I, there's a uh, channel that I watch, The Real, called Agad Mater, A-G-A-D-M-A-T-O-R, which I think is the best chess channel on YouTube. And I have uh, a couple different apps on my phone, chess apps. So... Um, if I'm somewhere and uh, I'm not doing unfound work, one of the things that I do is I do play a little chess against the computer and I set the rating really high. So I usually get beat, but I don't feel too bad about that. And then I know nephew Charlie is in here uh, somewhere as well. I saw his post from before, but it's kind of, um, I don't know where it's gone. It was here for a moment and then it went away, but uh Nephew Charles uh, is in here somewhere, and uh, Charles, I spoke to your mother today. It was good to hear from her, although um, she is, uh, she's going to be fine. Uh, she has a procedure coming up December 30th. It's no big deal. Can't get into it. But she gave me a call today to give me a heads up on that, and um, uh, she's going on vacation this weekend. Lucky her. So what uh, is going on in uh, the host of Unfound's life uh, since the last time you all saw me? Um, still no disc golf. I've not played any uh, disc golf. And um, just like I said, been a little busy. Been concentrating more on uh, riding my bike a little bit, getting down, doing a little cardio that way. And uh, going to the gym that's right here in the building. So that's kind of taken the place of disc golf right now. The, the concerning part is I'm supposed to play in a one-round tournament this weekend up at Floral City. And I just don't know if I'm going to do that or not. We'll just have to see. I was supposed to play this past weekend. Uh, didn't go. Got my money back, my registration money back. So I don't know uh, what I'm going to be doing with that. Uh, I it's one of those things where I realize how much work I get done on these weekends. And really, there's no reason for me to play right now because I haven't been practicing. And uh, really, none of these tournaments really mean anything. I've already qualified for Worlds next year if I choose to go. So I don't know. Um, we'll just have to see if I'm going to play this weekend or not. 
So I haven't been doing much in that, but I have been riding my bike and getting out and that's been nice riding uh, like an hour on my bike, like every other evening. Did not get to do that uh, this evening. Had some unfound work to do, but so there's that. Uh, Also, I went to the gun range uh, again yesterday morning with my friend Carla. That's the second Sunday in a row. So that's kind of taken place of going over to Taylor, playing with the club. That's the only time she can go. So we went over there on Sunday morning. We were there for only about an hour, but uh, Carla was all excited. She has a silencer or a suppressor for her gun and uh she wanted to try it out and man it does work uh it the the um the the sound of the gun is a lot less and lower in volume with one of those on the end it's still not like they portrayed in hollywood when you put a silencer on a on a pistol and it's just this little or something it's a little louder than that but it's certainly quieter uh than with no uh suppressor or silencer at all but she's really, really excited about it uh, because it worked just as she wanted it to. And so she's really, she was really excited. And she shot really well on Sunday as well. So she came away uh, from the gun range on Sunday morning um, in a really, really good mood. Everything uh, worked out there on Sunday morning. Very happy for her. Um, not sure uh, when I'll go to the gun range next but as i've been saying I, I this is something i need to start doing i'm a big believer if you're going to be a gun owner then just don't own a gun you have to go out there you have to shoot it you have to know how to clean it you have to know your you know your way around it um given that you may have to use it and it's probably going to be in a life or death situation so you better know it just don't own it and expect in that time of need that that you're going to know what to do. And I am certainly one of these people who believes that it's not just about owning guns in the United States, but we need to have educated, skillful, uh, mature, conscientious owners as well. And uh, that's something probably I got away from earlier this year. I did not, I let my uh, membership over at the club lapse and I hadn't gone to the, the range in a while, and I felt a little guilty about that. So I'm glad I signed up and uh, got back my membership. And so I've been to what? I've been to the gun range five times in like the last two months now. So, and I enjoy it. I get in, I get out, and I usually go on weekdays, mornings, and usually every other person there is like 20 years older than I am. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, Deborah, um, I saw your question. That was, there was nothing wrong with that question, Deborah. I uh, know Carla is uh, a friend of mine. She uh, is married to a guy, Mike. The reason I know Carla is she and her husband, Mike, used to be my brother's next door neighbor over where my brother and his wife live over in Largo. They were the next door neighbors to my brother and his wife um, when I first moved to Florida back in 2011. That's how I know Carla. And I know her husband too, Mike. I know him very well. But she likes to go shoot, and um, I have this membership, and I can bring a guest along with me, and it's only like 10 bucks, So uh, we can get in there, um, 
and get that done pretty quickly. I will say that shooting indoors is a little more convenient. Of course, if you have a pistol and it's not going to be a long distance. Um, but I like going to the outdoor place. That's, that's where the membership is, and I'll continue to go there. Uh, Carrie says, you need to know safety at all. Don't pull it if you're not going to use it either. That's true. So that's my gun story. And I actually have to admit, I um, shot, been shooting really well. Uh, considering it's been a while since I've been to the range, I'm shooting pretty, pretty well. Yeah, Deborah, there was no problem with that question. I didn't, that was no big deal. Uh, and I'm sure if uh, Carla's even watched it, she would watch this. I don't think she listens to the podcast or I think she doesn't have to, but she would probably get a kick out of that question anyway, Deborah. Uh, moving on, uh, I did get out today. It was a beautiful, beautiful day here in uh, Clearwater Beach, Florida. Just one of those perfect December Florida days. Everybody, the reason they move here for days like today. And I finally got my car washed. Now, of course, there's a story that I hadn't gotten my car washed or in a while. Like since the beginning of this year. And the reason is not because I'm a slob. But as I uh, explained maybe a, a, a like a month ago or a few months ago, that I had a paint problem on my car. And a lot of Hyundais or Hyundais have that where the the paint on the roof or on the hood, there's a defect from the factory where it'll just peel off, just like an onion. And that had started a few years ago with my car, but then it seemed to stop. But then earlier this year, um, it started peeling again and I had like taken a picture of it. I even posted it on my Facebook page. If any of you are friends with me on there, well, once that starts happening, it's probably going to continue to happen. If you go get your car washed, that just makes it worse. In fact, one of the things that makes it worse is if you drive in the rain and the water will get up under the paint and just start peeling more and more off. And that's how it started getting as bad as it got. And so I couldn't go get my car washed for fear that more of the paint would get stripped off. And then who knows what's going to happen. And I really didn't have a plan as to when I was going to be able to get it uh, handled. And finally, I did. Uh, You know that, man, it seems like yesterday, but maybe six weeks ago now, I uh, must have been right after I came back from being in Greeley, Colorado. So it couldn't have been six weeks ago, maybe four to five weeks ago. I finally got it painted. And what they recommended is, okay, let it sit for a few weeks. Don't just go get it washed and with the brushes and everything right away. Let it sit for a few weeks and then you can do that. Well, today I finally got, uh, took my car, got it detailed, got it vacuumed and everything, got the dash done, got everything wiped down, got the rims done. Got the entire car washed, and now my car looks, you know, pretty good, uh, even though it is a Hyundai Sonata. So I went and did that today for the first time in a long time, but it felt good to do it. And, um, hey, what's going on, Moana? How are you? Good to see you. And uh, with the little uh, rock on uh, emoji, thank you. So the car got washed. Uh, and vacuum and everything. I had to take a bunch of stuff out of it to get that done. So uh, tomorrow, 
like my disc golf bag and a, a bunch of other things were in my car. I'll have to take it back downstairs and put that all back in there. But I wanted to take it all out so they wouldn't have any problems cleaning out the inside of it. So that was nice to get that done today. What else is going on? Um, my nephew, John, and his wife are here. And I got to see them. What was that? That was Saturday night. I went over and uh, we hung out. Um, my my sister-in-law, Laureen, she cooked. It was spectacular. And we had dinner. And then my brother came home from work. And we just kind of hung out. And it was good to see them again. And they were supposed to come down. They were supposed to uh, be here for the sunset this evening. But that, unfortunately, didn't work out for some reason. So I think they'll be coming down uh, to my place tomorrow, maybe around noon. Of course, tomorrow I have a very, very busy day, which I'll get into in a moment. But they'll be coming down because my nephew has never seen my place. He's never been uh, to this condo. And I've been here like three and a half years now. So he has to come down and check it out. So I'm hoping they will come down around noon tomorrow and hang out for a while. But then around three o'clock, I'll have to get back to work. But he's here, and I think he and his wife are going back to the state of Washington on Wednesday. But they've been here for a while. They were over. They were up in Washington, D.C. They, I think they drove down to Jacksonville, and now they came over here. And then they're going to be uh, flying home. And, of course, we here in Florida are always uh, hoping that they'll move here because – um, John's dad, my brother, Brian, of course he lives here, but then John's wife, uh, her family also lives here. That's why they had the wedding here back right when hurricane Ian came through. And so it would make all the sense in the world if they just moved here. I'd certainly, uh, enjoy that. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't, but he's here. It's good to see him. And uh, he just turned his his birthday was actually on Friday. His birthday is the day after my dad's. By the way, my dad's uh, birthday was on Thursday last week. And he is a spry 86 now. And John just turned. He was born. John just turned 37. Crazy. It is absolutely crazy that he is 37. And uh, when I was 37. Uh, I was um, I was working at the Greek Isle being the stage manager for the Rat Pack show and the Magic show. And then I was also a, uh, a printer and uh, printer and fax technician. One of those odd jobs that I've had over the course of my life. I had those jobs together, right? I worked at the printer fax job during the day and then worked in, in the show in the evening it made uh for a very busy time in my life uh i remember i was on my feet so much that uh, my feet were so sore i was always on my feet i was happy when i could just cut down a little bit but um so that's what i was doing when i was 37 moving on uh Something else uh, that I want to recommend to everybody is I had a chance to, if any of you have Netflix, I would certainly recommend the, the documentary that is just posted on there that Robert Downey Jr. did about his father, Robert Downey Sr. It is really 
really, really good. Now, I'm a big Robert Downey Jr. fan anyway. Uh, his The turnaround of his life and his career has to be one of the biggest comeback stories. I don't know. I don't want to say necessarily. I don't want to go totally sensational and say in the history of the United States. But to think where he was in the 90s, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, addictions, going to jail multiple times, uh, you know, got kind of getting a plum roll, remember, on Alec McBeal, and then he lost it because, you know, he got in trouble with the law again. You know, he blew that job. I mean, nobody would have been surprised back then if Robert Downey Jr. was found overdosed in a hotel somebody where nobody would have been you know he could have gone the way of river phoenix or you know a bunch of other we know promising actors or actresses who just so got so caught up in their addictions and died before they could reach their full potential nobody would have been surprised back that if you'd have seen a story in the year 2000 that robert downey jr was found dead from an overdose nobody would have been surprised but now here he is in the year 2022, of course, he played Iron Man in all those Marvel movies and was spectacular. And it's not just that. It's not just that he's gotten his career back, but any interviews you see with him, anytime you know he's married, uh, any interactions with his wife and, and all of this stuff, he's like the nicest guy ever. And I don't believe it's a show at all. I really, really believe that that is who he is. I, I'm not a big um, Joe Rogan fan, but I did watch the interview that Robert Downey Jr. did at like the beginning of 2020 on Joe Rogan. It's on uh, the program. It's fascinating. And he's just, I think he's just a very, very compelling uh, person in American pop culture. Uh Growing up, his father was this avant-garde filmmaker, Robert Downey Sr., who had his own drug problems and everything. And unfortunately, he you know, kind of admits in this documentary that unfortunately because of what he was doing, this is the reason Robert Downey Jr. got into it. Then Robert Downey Jr. does these movies in the 80s, and it looks like he's, he's going to be the next movie star. And then the 90s come around, and he just ruins his life. And then he just comes back does Iron Man and does all this fantastic work since it's just, I think it's like one of the most compelling stories in American culture, you know, 20th into the 21st century. Well, he made a, uh, he's made a documentary about his father who uh, unfortunately died. Uh, I think it was earlier this year and it is really good. It just came out Netflix. It's called senior. It's like SR period. So I would certainly recommend it. And, you know, seeing their relationship and how it was estranged for a while. And um, it's just so good. And it's like 90 minutes long. I watched, must have been on, must have been on Saturday before I went over to my brother's um, that, uh, it was just so good, and uh, very, but you know, of course, it's good that he and his father got to resolve some things before Robert Downey Sr. 
uh, passed away. So if you have Netflix and you're looking for something interesting, and you know, of course, all know who Robert Downey Jr. is, if you'd like to maybe get to see that side of him, maybe you don't get to see because he just is in, in movies and everything, this would be a good way uh, to see it and see him with his family, see him with his father. It's funny. It's emotional. I would recommend it. Um, now, the real is telling me, is this real? Is this true? Kirsty Alley. I'm doing this. This is like 9.22, 9.23 p.m. Eastern time in the United States on December 5th, 2020. Kirsty Alley has passed away. Really? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my. That's sad. Big fan. Let me just look this up. Uh, would she? I'm going to just interrupt the uh, the uh, regular programming. Yeah, wow. Oh, my. She had cancer, 71 years old. Wow. You just don't know. Um, yeah, I'm seeing it now, Carrie. Thank you for sending me that link. Um, very sad. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Um, the real says she kept yeah died of cancer today. Yeah, um, this is just how I'll just have to comment on it. You know, I was a big fan of Kirstie Alley. I was a um, huge fan. I grew up. Watching Cheers, it's kind of a, of course, that was a sitcom in the 1980s into the early 1990s. Bizarre, um, bizarre story is that I actually know one of the guys who ran that show. His name is Rob Long. Uh, kind of know him a little bit. Um, but, you know, she, of course, took the place on that show. She was so good. Of course, a lot of people also know her from uh, playing the uh, Vulcan on The Wrath of Khan, which to me is still the best Star Trek movie. And uh, just 71 years old. Cancer, uh, you know, just no matter how famous or how much money or anything you have, if it wants you, it's going to get you. I think we learned that with like Steve Jobs, who... Um, kind of just withered away in front of everybody. A guy who was the face for Apple for all those years, of course, went away from Apple and then came back. And he was, you know, front and center, running all those meetings, you know, really steering the Apple ship for all those years. And then to just, despite him being a billionaire and having access to all of the, any sort of a medical attention or care that you could ever want still died from pancreatic cancer. Just when it wants you, it gets you. I guess maybe we could say that about maybe somebody like Patrick Swayze too, who um, took care of, although he, uh, maybe people don't realize this, he was a huge smoker, even though he took care of himself and he was always ripped in all those movie roles and everything. He was a huge smoker, but once again, guy probably who wasn't hurting for money, had access to all sorts of 
healthcare and doctors, and they couldn't save him either. So uh, very, very sad. Um, if you don't know this, maybe this is something you want to go, you know, I just have all this really weird information in my head. If you want to see Kirstie Alley before she was ever famous, she was on a 19, uh, she was on Match Game. Remember with Gene Rayburn, uh, one of my favorite game shows, by the way, of all time. And at least the original from the 1970s has just cracked me up. This is just so good. And with Richard Dawson, uh, before he was a host of Family Feud, but she was actually a contestant on Match Game in the 1970s. So you can see her before, you know, before she was ever famous, was in anything. And so you, if you, you can actually uh, do a search on YouTube and you can find her in that episode. That's also what comes to mind with uh, Kirstie Alley, 71 years old. Very sad. And everybody's, yes, she died. Uh, Sharice says cancer. Carrie, I just, yeah, true. She was 71. Deborah says what? The Real says she, she must have kept it quiet. Of course, I'm, I really don't keep track of these things. But uh, Suzanne di di died of cancer today. Deborah says, damn. Uh, rest in peace. You will be greatly missed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people maybe also know her because of her uh, you know, connection to Scientology. It's also something um, when I think people think about Kirstie Alley, they think of that as well. So there you go. Very sad. Yep. Uh, once again, if you are watching here uh, tonight live, please give this video a thumbs up. So do not forget to do that on your phone, on your tablet, on your laptop, uh, wherever, however, you are watching this live show tonight. Do not forget to give this uh, very, very good live show tonight a thumbs up. So, but once again, I want to plug that uh, documentary on Netflix. It's just called Senior, SR period. And it's, uh, it was done by Robert Jr., Donnie Jr., and um, covering the relationship with his father. Through, and you get to see like home movies that were made of Robert Downey Jr. when he was like four years old and all of it. It's, it's really, like I said, it's really good. I will have to watch it again. All right. So that kind of wraps up the, uh, the private. Uh, you know, I always start out the live show with uh, private stuff. I try to be as a transparent as a host as possible. Maybe somebody who is listening or watching for the first time. Uh, I think it's very important that, especially when it comes to serious topics, we know there are podcasts out there that cover a lot of different serious topics. So of course, there are podcasts about cancer and medical advice. and But when it comes to serious topics, I think it's very important that the audience knows who they're, who they're listening to. What kind of person is this? When you're talking about people's health, you're talking about disappearances and people that, that greatly affect people's lives, people being damaged uh, due to health issues or disappearances or murders. So I think it's always important for people to know who is actually talking so they can make a really good decision. Is this person genuine or not? I don't know how much that matters for other things. 
if there's a podcast or YouTube shows regarding movies or video games and things, those tend to be, of course, way more laid back. But when you're covering disappearances and serious topics, I think it helps to know uh, what kind of person the uh, host is. And so that's why I don't mind talking about what's going on in my life. Not everything, of course, but a lot of it. And I think a lot of you can relate to a lot of the topics uh, that, that I bring up before I get into the true crime part. So let's get to the true crime part. And uh, if you don't know, um, did not get any questions posted in the discussion group before tonight's uh, show. So if anybody has a question on your mind, something that you've wanted to ask me uh, about the podcast, about myself, about anything, as long as it's PG rated and it's not too personal, uh, I will try to answer it. If anything like that comes to mind, in fact, I think somebody last week asked me, uh, you know, Ed, why are you single? And I even answered that. And of course, my usual answer to that is, well, how much time do you have? But uh, if anything is on your minds tonight, I will gladly answer them because I just did not get any, even though I posted a couple hours before this live show started, did not get any questions. So uh, just put there in the chat and I promise I will get to it. In addition, if you'd like one more way you can contribute to Unfound, at least during the live show is hitting the super chat button, which is that little box with a little dollar sign in it, and you will get recognized. In fact, if you have a question, you can actually do it that way. And so I, that will make sure it'll pop like up in orange or green or something. And that'll be for, um, so I don't miss it. And uh, that's a good way to get your question seen. And there we go. Uh, Spleen steps up. Good to see you, Spleen. How have you been? Hope you're doing well out there. Thank you for the question. Uh, Spleen asks, have you ever been set up on a date and how did it go? I have been. And not usually too well, uh, Spleen, to be honest with you. Um, I think that the times that I've been set up in my life, like on a blind date, well, I know somebody who would be perfect for you. That has not happened a lot in my life, to be honest. Despite me being single at 52, you would think probably this has happened a lot. It hasn't. It usually does not go well because my experience, just looking at like as a third-party type of person, it, it, it's clear to me that people are more thinking of themselves than thinking of me. That they're thinking, well, I'm going to set Ed up with Jane Doe because I like Jane Doe, uh, not because I think Ed is going to like Jane Doe. And it just seems to me that over the course of my life, and I've had friends try to do this, I've had family members do this, the, the thing that immediately comes into my mind when this has happened is – man, I guess these people don't um, maybe don't understand me or don't get me or something at all. I'm always walk away thinking, man, I thought these people really knew me, but they don't. <laughs> now, I will admit that uh, I'm an easy guy to like, but I'm a hard guy to get to know. 
uh, that that doesn't help. But um, so people have tried to do that spleen, but uh, it just hasn't worked out that why well, there was any fighting or anything, but it's obvious that me, uh, myself and these women really had nothing in common. The only thing we had in common is we're two single people. And I really don't even think that I'm that picky. Uh, Spleen says, well, do you like opposites or female metalheads, disc golfers? <sighs> the, the big deal for me, Spleen, is that... <laughs> Melissa, it appears that I've arrived at the right time. Well, you're about 35 minutes late, Melissa, but I'm the only person who isn't allowed to be late. So, Melissa, thank you for making time tonight. Uh, I appreciate it. Um, it's Celine. I think anybody would say that they would prefer to have people in their lives that like, for example, like the same kind of music. I mean, obviously if you're going to be going on uh car trips and things like that, then that can, you know, maybe that can get a little bit of a tug of war and it's just, um, you know, that, that could be something that resentment could build, you might say. Me, yes, I have music that I like, but I have to say that I'm fairly understanding regarding music. As long as it's not like country music and it's not really, you know, some, you know, some of like the new stuff. I really can't get into newer pop music these days, but she does not have to be a, uh, an Iron Maiden fan. But it might be nice if she likes Def Leppard. It might be like good if she likes Prince, which uh, I was joking around. I'm gonna maybe I can talk about that in a moment. Um, it would be nice if she likes, you know. And of course, we're talking about age groups here. Um, uh, uh, probably a woman who's 50 years old has. Uh, much more uh, likely to like Prince than a 30-year-old, probably. And I like to date women around my age. So, but probably the one thing that would have to spleen getting on that, the one thing that would have to probably be opposite is our sh social styles. Uh, I will say that the women who have been the best match for me, even though it didn't end up not working out, are much more social butterflies than I am. And I don't mind that. That's fine. If I'm with the woman who sets the social agenda, like, well, we're going to go out here, and I don't mind planning dates. I can do that. But if she's more the social butterfly, probably best for both of us. Because if the woman has a personality like, myself then <laughs> then we may never leave the house so um generally my uh girlfriends have been the 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 outgoing type and i have more the introverted type and that seems to work out well there were other things though obviously that did not and eventually work out but certainly when it comes to likes and dislikes like when it comes to movies and things um uh, music, you'd like to have some similarities there and certainly similarities in regards to maybe your philosophies of life and things might be nice too, but certainly when it comes to personality, 
might have to be different than mine. Uh, Paula, do you make a daily weekly risk regarding the podcast? How do you keep things balanced? I do have an ongoing things to do list, Paula, that I look at every day. It's not the most scientific thing, but, um, um, I do. And, uh, I'll have, you know, Paula, that I rarely miss anything calls I'm supposed to make places I'm supposed to be. Uh, I really like to take pride in uh, being on time to places and calling people on time and getting things done on time and, and all of that. It's, uh, even though I was not, I'm not a Protestant. That's what that Protestant, what they call it, the Protestant work ethic. So I do, um, as you probably realize, Paula, that a lot of what I do regarding the podcast, it's, kind of the same thing over and over and over for week to week to week to week to week pretty much and then there are those weeks where i have to like i've maybe an unfound now that i have to do once a month or the newsletter once a month and things uh but a lot of it it's a little bit like being on a conveyor belt or an assembly line paula but the other variable in that is also when people can talk if i you know reach out to somebody and say yeah we want to talk then, then I, I make myself available. And so that's something that that's a variable that gets put into, I guess, the, uh, the assembly line process of doing this podcast. Melissa says, it appears I arrived at the right time. Yes. I uh, couldn't help, couldn't help it. Monday nights are tough. Well, sorry about that, Melissa. Uh, Deborah says, did you ever want to have, um, did you ever want to want children? Deborah, I thought I did at one time. Uh, now that I'm 52, I'm glad I didn't, or I haven't. Never, I guess you could never say never. But uh, there's nothing that's crying out uh, for that. And I know that you asked a different question before Deborah and changed it. I don't mind answering the other one. Uh, other one. Uh, my parents um, never. Uh, my parents, two things they never did. Never continued to ask me about getting married. Do I have a girlfriend? When are you going to get married? My parents never done that. Number two, never asked about children either. And I give them the other things. They probably asked me too much about those things that maybe ticked me off. But I give my parents a lot of credit, even though, of course, my mother's deceased, that they never got crazy about those two topics. And I give them all the credit in the world for that because I know a lot of parents will drive their kids nuts regarding that. My parents did not. Uh, no no country bashing, bashing too late, Shelly. Uh, marketing, I've always wondered why. I'm old school 80s chick. Good for you, Melissa. Um, Mark says, I've always wondered why people think they need to try to set me up on a date. Over the years, I've made it abundantly clear that people need to mind their own business and I don't need their help. Mark, I don't mind being set up. It's just never gone well. Uh, if, uh, one of my, um, you know, if one of somebody who really knows me well says, you know what, Ed, I can set you up with, uh, Miss Tennessee from 1992, which I'm just saying that's cause that would kind of be in my age range. I'd be like, yeah, where do I need to be or something? That's just an example. I would be there. I don't mind people trying to set me up. It's just every time that's happened i'm left I, I i'm left thinking man these people don't know me at all so i don't mind though i do not mind it i only mind it after the fact 
when I'm like, well, that was a big waste of time. Um, Melissa, my Prince barometer is someone's opinion of Prince controversy album. Uh, I'm not much into necessarily albums, Melissa. I'm just into music, but Melissa, you should know on Spotify for this year, my number one song that's played is ever going to crack everybody up. The number one song I played this year on Spotify. Can't believe I'm going to say this, admit this publicly. I just want you to know the number two song was uh, Countdown to Extinction from Megadeth. So I, I, my street cred is still solid. Number one, listen to song on Spotify because they give you these end of your uh, stats. And I just got it. I think everybody who has a Spotify account just got them. Number one mu- song, Erotic City by Prince. Believe it. Uh, Ferry says, were you raised with religion? I was. I was... Uh, an altar boy. I was raised Catholic. Uh, I was an altar boy. I was the church organist. And I haven't been to a, except for like when my mother died or some weddings that I've gone to that were in the Catholic church. I haven't been to a Catholic mass uh, since the 1990s. Uh, although I do consider myself to be a, a bit religious. Um, but I just don't like to talk about that. Deborah, because I never had none, they think that. Because I never had none, think that. Uh, Spring, well, I always zero in common with my husband except our core values, but we have fun and have been married 11 years. Good for you. Spleen, Charlie, uh, never asked my kids those two questions. Very good. I, I, I'm not a parent. All I can tell you, as a, a child, I'm glad my parents never brought those things up. Uh, yeah, Paula agrees with me. Uh, Moan is laughing at my answer. Melissa's laughing at my answer. Shelly loves Prince. Melissa, way to skew those Spotify stats. That's what it was. Uh, it said that I listened to Erotic City 88 times over the course of 2022. Like I said, I think second was Countdown to Extinction by Megadeth. Also in the top five was Midlife Crisis by Faith No More. Um, then also in the top five was Love Removal Machine by The Cult. And I forget what number five. So, yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. Thank you, Melissa. So, um, yeah. Erotic City uh, was the number one song I listened to. I don't... I. I know that makes me sound really kinky or something. Spleen says, I love the cult. Me too. I knew way more songs. I listened to a lot of that uh, when I was going to Worlds. That's probably how the cult got so high up into my um, list. Uh, for night, As far as groups go, um, Megadeth was number one. Prince was number two. Iron Maiden was number three. The cult was number four. And Faith No More was number five. I mean... Uh, Faith No More, uh, Midlife Crisis, We Care A Lot, The Whole, The Real Thing album, um, spectacular music. All right, it's a lot of great questions there. Very well done, everybody. Off getting all those questions out there gives me some stuff to talk about. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's talk a little true crime here for a little bit. Uh, I do not remember Vane, Spleen. I do not remember them. No. Hmm. The Brandon Rashar poll. This is a discussion group. I put the poll in the discussion group every week. And this was a simple question. Do you think that Dominic, of course, the 18-year-old, do you think that he knows what happened to Brandon? 
In the discussion group, it was a split decision. It's like 58, 40%, 42%, which is really close. So very split. I think that uh, uh, 58% was yes, 42% no, but that's pretty, pretty close. In a discussion group poll, that's pretty much 50-50. So it was 50-50. In the think tank, and if you'd like to be part of the think tank, like we had a new member in there the last couple of weeks. Her name is Lee, and she is having a spectacular time. So if you would also like to have a spectacular time to go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and do what Leah has done recently. But in the think tank that we did last night, uh, the decision was that, nope, Dominic does not know um, what happened to uh, Brandon. And then me for the blog that I write there every week. Uh, I also decided that no, Dominic does not know. But I, I have to admit, I was very, 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 very close to saying that he did. Very close. What, make, make, what makes Brandon's disappearance complex? Even though he had a lot of the similar qualities of Jamie Valdez and um, Jace Martin, the part that makes Brandon's really complex is the cash part, and the accident slash cash part. just adds layers and layers of complexity to it because was the accident real? Was it staged? Did Brandon throw himself in front of the car on purpose? I know that Jenny does not believe that. I'm not here to argue with her, but um, just can't ignore the, the fact that here was a guy who really didn't have anything to his name. And then all of a sudden he gets hit by a car and the person just agrees to want to give him cash. What are the odds? So, um, but I decided that Dominic does not know what happened to Brandon either. Like I said, in the discussion group, very, very close to 50-50. And as the guy who creates those polls, when I get something close to 50-50, I really give give myself a slap on the back. Good question, Ed. Um... Love the call. Do you remember Vane? I don't. Mine is probably Bob Dylan. You love, not a huge uh, Bob Dylan fan. Uh, he's okay. I like him more than country music. Melissa, I will be joining soon. The think tank is up my alley. Melissa would love to have you in there. I think you would enjoy it. Use your uh, high IQ to help us figure out some of these um, puzzling facts for all these disappearances. That's what we do there. Ferry, did you get my email about Jeremy Foco, the man from Seattle? I did. Very, I did. Thank you. Um, yeah, Melissa, I'm with Dominic, had zero to do with it. Okay, Melissa. Yeah, Mary, um, Jeremiah Foco, the man from Seattle, that was strange, especially. I don't, unfortunately, remember uh, the facts of it, Ferry, but I know that I, I do recognize that name. Moving on, uh, Unfound Now has already been done. Um, And it's already available. If you are a member of this channel, then you've already gotten to uh, watch it. But all of the rest of you, why aren't you members yet? Once again, just hit the join button down below. But for all of you who aren't, uh, the Unfound Now uh, will be coming out end of the week. And 
this is what we might we call a the man said type of disappearance. Not necessarily saying that this woman's husband had something to do with it, but maybe. And so you will get that. I'll make that available at the end of the week. Moving on, uh, some of you might have seen that in Franklin, Tennessee, there were some remains found. And if everybody knows Unfound's disappearances really, really well, I know Kathy does. I, I'm calling her the Unfound historian. But uh, when you hear the town Franklin, Tennessee, you should automatically think of Nico Lisi. And his mother had posted that, yes, remains were found in Franklin, Tennessee, and they're going to try to figure out if they are Nikos or not. Uh, she posted, I think, yesterday that they are not Nikos. So the search continues as to what happened to Nico. You might remember that's uh, a disappearance where he was in New York and drove the whole way down to, a t to Tennessee with a friend of his. And somehow this friend got a ride back to Michigan, but Nico disappeared in Tennessee somewhere, as did his truck. And then sometime later, uh, his truck was found all stripped down to the frame, but they were able to determine that it was Nico's truck. And still, uh, we do not know exactly what happened to him. How did he go a missing? He drives the whole way down to Tennessee and goes missing. What exactly happened here? But the remains that were found, uh, I think, by accident in the Franklin, Tennessee area are not um, his. Moving on, uh, I made the newest unfound on the ground available now to everybody. That is something that um, premium Patreon members get. Uh, it's a live show run by my assistant, Eric. And what we've been doing this year is uh, he has been – um, doing presentations on the disappearances of famous people. And once the unfound on the ground has been, uh, after a month that it's been out for the premium Patreon members, it is then made public for everyone. And I just made the most recent one uh, public. And that was the disappearance of Glenn Miller, the big band guy. I don't know how many people realize, but he is a missing person. And the general facts are he went missing right at the end of World War II. He was flying from England over to France. Uh, he was going to – the France had been finally liberated, and he was going to go down there for music reasons to uh, head up a band and have a concert. And he was, he, he was a pilot. He knew how to fly by himself. And somewhere between in there going across the English Channel – he went missing, lots of different rumors, one even being that he might have been thought of to be an enemy, might have been like like it was like a Nazi plane or something, and might have even got shot down, and the people didn't even know they did it. The Allied forces didn't even know they did it. So uh, you can now watch that right on this YouTube channel, uh, Unfound on the Ground, Glenn Miller. Melissa says, how did you know I have a high IQ? Well, you are in this chat, Melissa. So that was one way I knew that you had a high IQ. Uh, Kathy, the truck was stolen by Nico and Robert in New York, right? Thank you, uh, Kathy. Once again, unfound historian uh, talking about Nico Lisi's disappearance. Melissa, that one felt like uh, Marshall Iwasa in Canada. I don't know that disappearance. Valerie, I'm behind. I had to go to the store 
Rest in peace, Kirstie Alley. My parents watched Cheers also. Yeah, I'm a big Cheers fan. Yeah, 71 years old. Too young. Too young. Uh, moving on. Um, we're going to talk about this again. Uh, I talked about this last week. Going to talk about it again right now. That uh, the end of this month, um, going to be getting together with a couple of my assistants to go over everything that Unfound does. And I'm calling it the state of the podcast. You know how the president does the state of the union and governors do state of the state. I'm going to be doing a state of the podcast with uh, some of my assistants and taking a look at everything. And uh, if you got the newsletter, you know I wrote about this a little bit, but I'll talk about it here. The, the newsletter came out last Thursday, by the way, on my dad's birthday, December 1st. I went on a little diatribe about true crime and media in that newsletter as well. You know, that's one of my favorite topics and how the, the, the media, in my opinion, uh, does not cover crime very well, um, treating it as entertainment and everything else. But anyway, the first part of the newsletter, though, was talking about the state of the podcast and why I'm doing this. And as I wrote in there, little did I know when I started Unfound over six years ago that all these years later there would be all these other things in addition to just doing the podcast every week. I don't know if I knew that there was going to be this live show or a YouTube channel or that we'd have the think tank and writing all the blogs and all of the things now that kind of go on on a daily basis for and found. And I think that what I mostly do here uh, is more than just about anybody else does. And, but what I've kind of noticed is that does it all mesh together? Is it, is, is it an efficient operation or not? And the example that I gave in the uh, newsletter was sometimes when I look at everything that, that goes on, that, you know, it's like I, I compared it in the newsletter to like a building that takes like forever to get built like a, a mansion or a castle or a skyscraper or something like that. But it takes so long to get built that there are different architectural styles within the same building, within the same framework of the same, you know, on the same property. And the reason that is, is because it was all built at different times when different things were fashionable. And we know that, that, um, Architecture, like anything else, goes through its phases, goes through its um, fads and, and things. And uh, I compare it sometimes when I look at Unfound, I look at it. It's like, well, we got neoclassical over here and we got Victorian over here style. And we got brutalism, which really is a, uh, a style of architecture. And then we got all it's like kind of all meshed together. And sometimes that's what I see when I look at everything that goes on. And so we're going to have a deep conversation about all of that. Uh, the real says, um, uh, Lisa says, heard this on a podcast. Pregnant people are more than twice as likely to be murdered during pregnancy and immediately after giving birth and die from any other cause. Yep. 
Pregnant women um, are in very vulnerable positions, Lisa. I agree. The real or that big triangular hotel in Pyongyang, which is the capital of uh, North Korea. I've seen that uh, building. And yes, maybe something like that. I don't think Unfound's that bad, though. But that's just kind of the feeling that I get sometimes when I look. I think that if you just look at any one particular thing on its own, it's fine. But when you look at the entire picture, it does it all make sense? Does it seem to be a little laborious? And sometimes that does come to me. So that's why uh, we're going to have this long talk uh, later this month. And we're going to see if anything can be done uh, about you know, any of this. Of course, the podcast is not going to change. In fact, I would say the podcast itself is still probably the best thing that gets done. Uh, certainly. Certainly in 2022, there were more downloads. Um, you know, getting into this agreement with Spotify has been spectacular. Uh, so that's not changing. But some of these other things that have popped up over the last six years, going to take a long look at and I really can't say uh, how they're going to change. I just know that change is coming because change is a part of life. So there's that. All right, let's move on to the stuff that I want to talk about, national um, news stuff. I want to first talk about, unfortunately, about – Fairy says, so it feels disjointed to you. That's a good word, Fairy. It does. Even though it all gets done, I think it get done. It gets done well. Uh, I think sometimes it feels like uh, yes, we're moving forward, but I'm on a bike and it's in first gear, so I'm I'm turning the pedals quite a bit, but we're not going very fast. Sometimes that's the way it feels. I need to talk about Athena Strand. Is very very. Sad story. Um, I'm going to read an article. And um, of course, the way I always look at these things is, can we relate this to disappearances? You know, what are we supposed to think about this? If she hadn't been found, deceased, murdered, then what would we be thinking? So. A FedEx driver has been charged with murder after police say he kidnapped a seven-year-old girl in northern Texas while making a delivery to her home. Tanner Lynn Homer, 31 years old, was arrested Friday on charges of capital murder and aggravated kidnapping in the death of Athena Strand, Wise County Sheriff Lena Aiken said at a news conference Friday. Her family reported her missing Wednesday after she disappeared from her home's driveway. Her body was recovered Friday evening in the town of Boyd, about 50 miles northwest of Fort Worth, after a massive multi-agency search. Investigators believed Athena died within an hour or so of her departure from home. It hurts our hearts to know that she died, Aiken said. It's one of the toughest investigations that I've been involved in because it's a child. Home Horner uh, was a, is a contract driver for FedEx and is being held at Wise County Jail on a $1.5 million bond. When asked to confirm Horner's employment, FedEx spokesman said, uh, spokesman Meredith Miller said, FedEx ground contracts with independent businesses that provide package pickup and delivery services using their own employees, vehicles, and equipment. 
The employees of these service provider companies are subject to criminal history background checks as part of the driver eligibility process. Our thoughts are with the family of Athena Strand during this most difficult time. Words cannot describe our shock and sorrow surrounding this tragic event. We continue to cooperate fully with investigating authorities. Aiken said a tip early Friday helped investigators identify a suspect in the kidnapping. Horner did not appear to know Athena or her family and seemed to be making a delivery to the home at the time the child disappeared. The cause of Athena's death remains under investigation. Her body was, body was taken to the medical examiner's office. The discovery of her body brought an end to a days-long search involving multiple law enforcement agencies and rescue teams, helicopters, and search dogs. More than 300 volunteers also joined the search effort and with community members donating food, flashlights, and water. The community does not like losing our children, and we can see it because of all the people who came out and helped us through this ordeal. We're just sad this didn't end the way we hoped. The one thing that is, um, if people continue to remember Athena Strand for the rest of their lives, is that what kind of bad luck is this? And the way I, what's not in this article is that I read somewhere else is that Athena and was it her stepmother got into some sort of argument and uh, Athena went outside, just happened to go outside at the time that this killer showed up. And then he picked her up for some reason. Now, as my assistant, Carrie, who I maybe is still in here, uh, pointed out to me, uh, and I and I think I'd run across it myself as well, that a woman had made rape allegations against this guy some years ago, and she was not believed. And now, of course, she is now out there now uh, saying, I told you so, and nobody would believe me, and I told you he was a rapist. And I guess if they had believed her, I don't know why they didn't charge him with anything. I don't. Uh, Carrie says, I'm here multitasking as I listen. Thank you, Carrie. Why they didn't charge him with anything, I really didn't get too deep into all of that. But it does seem at least that there is at least one woman out there who claims that this guy was not a good guy and he should have been taken off the streets years ago. The issue, though, still is, and this guy, it's not like uh, he raped every woman he ran into in his life, right? So then what was it about this particular day that he decided to do this? Because there's no way, to remember this, there's no way that he could have known that Athena would be out in her driveway just at the time that he was pulling up. And I'm not going to go to Cookville thing. Well, maybe the stepmother just, let's not even go there. All right, maybe she knew him. And I'm not going to entertain that. Anybody who thinks that can just get out of the chat right now and stop watching. But what makes this tough is, once again, he just happens to show up at the very second that Athena is out there by herself. Now, we have covered Mikhail Biggs. That was certainly a situation. She's riding around with her sister. They get called to come in, and right around that time, somebody came by and snatched Mikhail, never 
to be seen. She was never seen again. We know that was over 20 years ago in Arizona. To me, this is even more improbable because you vary it a couple minutes either way. If he comes and drops off that package and leaves and then she goes outside, she doesn't go missing. If she goes outside five minutes before and then decides or set mother, you get right back in her and she goes back in the house and the guy shows up to drop off the package. Athena doesn't get murdered either. And, you know, this is such a freak occurrence. You know how I do not like coincidences. You know that how many times I've brought up in the very episodes or even on this live show with other kinds of crimes and disappearances, murders, or like in the blog, if at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast, how I don't like these kinds of coincidences. Maybe the first one we think of is like Jason Jolkowski being that we just revisited his disappearance uh, over a month ago that if somebody did come by and pick him up, what are the odds that person came by right at the time that Jason was walking down that street and who could it have been that would have been convincing enough to get Jason to get into that vehicle. Now the difference of course is Jason Jolkowski's 19 year old guy and Athena was seven years old. Certainly a big difference as far as getting, you know, snatched. And so where does this, um, and the other thing we have to think is, are we to believe that Tanner Horner went out that day looking to kill a little girl? Do you think this is just something, uh, let's just even go this far. Do you think that he might have taken on this job just for the specific reason of maybe happening upon Uh, A little girl out on the sidewalk by herself with a chance of, maybe. It's something we're going to have to think about. In fact, given we know how this happened, we might have to start looking at other uh, little girls who went, uh, maybe have gone missing in this area over the years. If he's been doing some sort of delivery job for years, might find out that this guy, this Tanner Horner guy, might have abducted some other girls. And they just were never able to put it together. They were out in the street, and then they were gone. And this is something I think we have to be open to, because the alternative is thinking that this guy went out to do his job that day, and boom, just on the spur of the moment, oh, this little girl's by herself. I'm going to take her. I'm going to kill her. I just hate these because once again, if we start uh, these kinds of occurrences like this make analyzing disappearances very, very difficult because I don't like um, if things like this can happen and maybe if they're more common than we think, then this adds in another huge layer of complexity to disappearances. It just does. Because we don't like to think of disappearances this way. That a person just is the wrong place at the wrong time and some stranger comes along and picks that person up and they're gone. We know this has happened. 
and uh, there's a disappearance that I'm thinking of. I don't remember the young woman's name, but it's from California. I think it's back in the 1970s where her car broke down on an L.A. freeway. And she got to one of those emergency boxes like I think they still have, of course, everybody's cell phones but back in the day, like those emergency phones. She made it to one of these emergency phones. And then somebody later claimed that, yes, she was seen talking to some guy in a, in a Corvette or something. And then she went missing, never to be seen again. So this also that disappearance, and I'm sure somebody's going to look that up to look up the name of that, that young woman. But that also seems like a disappearance where somebody just came around at the wrong time. You know, she was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And the guy that came along was a killer. It's also then would go along with what a lot of people think regarding, for example, the disappearance of Mar Murray, where some people believe that, yeah, she was waiting. Uh, she wrecked, and that guy on the bus came by, and then he went home. And then after that, somebody came by, offered to give her a ride, and killed her. I don't personally believe that, but you know that there are a lot of people out there who have that belief. That's what they think. And you know, on the other hand, I like to think about that what are the odds well i guess we're finding out what the odds are and that it does happen because it happened to athena strand on uh last friday she was outside at the of her house at the wrong time and the wrong guy just happened to be working for fedex that day and just happened to drop a box off at her house at that time it's crazy it just just so so sad. Uh, you know, let's see what everybody's saying here. Uh, Shree says crime of opportunity. Fairy, he's an opportunity vulnerable, uh, vulnerable little girl. Maybe she was crying and he saw that. She sure was super cute. Screaming's reminding everybody to hit the thumbs up button. Thank you, Screaming. Fairy says crime of opportunity. Carrie agreed. Fairy opportunity. Shree, I think there will definitely be more alleg allegations of rape by him of other people. Yes. Uh, Kathy, I knew you would find the name Denise Huber on 55. I think that might be who you are taught. That's who I mean, Kathy, down in your uh, area of the United States. But on an L.A. freeway, I forget what freeway it was, but I think that's the right uh, name, Kathy. MT, so sad. When I was a child, kids would be outside all day and never worried about someone wanting to hurt us. Well, that's true, MT, but you have to remember that uh, probably more kids were getting kidnapped back then than we realized. You also have to remember the, uh, at least when I was born in, in 1970, the uh, United States only had like 150 million people. I, it's hard to believe in my lifetime, the population of the United States has doubled. So there's that. Denise was in the early 90s. John Famalart, no, this no, Kathy. This is no, Kathy. This is way back. This is going way back to like the 1970s, Kathy. Not, no, it's not Denise Huber. Um, she was on a freeway. Her car broke down. She was going somewhere. And uh, somebody in an old Corvette, like a 1960s alleged Corvette that was red, stopped by. And a witness said, yeah. Um, the witness said, 
she was talking to this guy. So maybe you then able to help you with the Google search cavity. Very majority of females are always aware of being vulnerable, being out after dark, being pregnant, being alone, being young, being elderly, increases the odds that they're that are already high. Sri, uh, I'm thinking about the young woman not too long ago that called for an Uber and a man saw her and picked her up. Not her Uber driver, but her murderer. That's right. I remember that. Sheree cannot remember the name. And she might have been drunk. Spleen, I'm friends with a good friend of Samantha Runyon's mom, a child who was also kidnapped right outside her home. I, I recognize that name too, Spleen. So these, thing hap- these things happen, and I think we then have to be open to the idea that Maybe at least a couple of these disappearances we've covered on Unfound have been like that, and we just don't realize it. And not just the ones that are of little girls like Jennifer Perry or Kimberly Norwood, but maybe grown people too, like I said, like Jason Jolkowski. Maybe it's more common than we think. I, of course, have pretty much – I've acknowledged that it exists, that it happens, but it's rare – Maybe it's not as rare as I think because this is certainly a glaring example of just a huge coincidence, a bunch of things coming together uh, that you wouldn't think would be possible, but it happened. Uh, Carrie says, Anne Harmere, September 12, 1977. That name does not sound familiar either, Carrie. Um let me uh, let me let me look this up real quick. For all you uh, podcast people, I'm doing a little search uh, on my other computer because this is going to bother me now. No, 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 no. Not seeing it right uh, here. Uh, I don't think that's it. Maybe I will post something. I promise you uh, that I will post something in the discussion group after we're done tonight. Um, So we can, uh, everybody can understand the disappearance I'm talking about where it seemed like this young woman was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Her car broke down, and she got picked up by the wrong guy. Whereas maybe in contrast to Sue Sudell, which is a disappearance we covered earlier this year from Minnesota, in which she surely was picked up by somebody she knew. That That is clear. Now, who that person is is up for debate. But she was not picked up by a stranger. Uh, whereas... Samantha, uh, Athena Strand was, and this woman, this disappearance I'm thinking from the 1970s certainly was as well. Um, uh, like I said, Los Angeles could it have gone back into the 60s? I don't think so. But on some LA freeway, and she went missing. And because of her car breaking down. Sheree says, Samantha Josephson was the young lady I was talking about. She just graduated from the University of South Carolina. Unfortunately, Sheree, I do not recognize the name, but I do recognize the uh, particulars, uh, the way you described it before. Kathy says, I didn't move to Southern California until 1981. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, uh, 
it would be um interesting if we could find that out before this live show is done who i am thinking of i hate i hate that when i know the facts of a disappearance but i can't think of the the person's name wasn't she the one who was found in a freezer in a u-haul in arizona uh orky hello orky are you new orky good to uh good to see you you're a new one or maybe you've changed your name or something good to see you orky orky wheat one i love it screaming yes i agree with that about the susan was picked up by someone she knew i haven't been to the i've been to the gas station where she was last seen i would have been 12 years old when she went missing yeah orky that's denise huber okay yeah i'm not this is a disappearance that is still unsolved from california from the 1970s there's probably a bunch of people like listening on the podcast right now screaming the person's name (laughs) but um who are listening like on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, the facts are, Ferry, that this was a young woman. She was in L.A. Her car breaks down. She pulls over to the side of the road and is u- was using one of those call boxes. And and the, they said that the you know police officer or somebody would come by eventually. But in the meantime, while she was waiting, a witness said that a red Corvette pulled up behind her and the person seemed to be helping her. But by the time the tow truck or the highway patrol got to her car, she was gone and she was never seen again. And But I just remember the red, the red Corvette. And it might have even been that the red Corvette had like some damage or it had a panel on it that was like a different color or something like that. So maybe that'll help you. Uh, try to figure out through Google who I am talking about. I know when I see the name... Uh, I'll recognize it. Just can't think of it. Moving on. I'm just going to touch upon this uh, very quickly. If all of you wrote, uh, read the newsletter, then you know where I stand on all of this media coverage at this point. Um, there is nothing going on in the investigation of the, the four young people killed in Idaho. Despite all the headlines, despite a couple of the parents now speaking to the media and uh, everything else, uh, there really is nothing going on. There have not been any facts. It's just been conjecture. News stories kind of um, cloaked as news, but it's really just opinion. People throwing opinions out there and, and everything. It's really, it doesn't seem to be any facts. In fact, what I saw was most pathetic is that the, this disgusting coverage of this handprint. Maybe you've seen this picture and there's like an evidence tape or something. Oh, that it must be something. I guarantee every person's sliding glass door in the entire United States has a handprint on it. And they wrote a story about that. Um, Robin Graham. That name does not sound familiar to me, Mark. Um, Orky says, no, not new. Just can never catch alive. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Orky, well, thank you for making time tonight. Good to see you. And I love that. Uh, where does that uh, name of yours come from, Orky? Orky Wheat One. Where does that come from? That's very uh, unique. Maybe it was Robin Graham, Mark. Yes, it's Robin Graham. Okay. So Robin Graham, if everybody wants to look up what I was talking about, this disappearance. Uh, what was the year, Mark, or Ferry, if you find it? Missing 1970, the year I was born from an L.A. freeway, and there was a mention of C1 Corvette. There you go. Thank you, Mark. Mark, excellent job. Thank you very much. 
So the disappearance I was talking about was the disappearance of Robin Graham from LA in 1970. And it does seem to be a situation where she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Car breaks down and just happens to be the wrong person comes by. And that is certainly a disappearance that is on the Charlie project. And what I also remember about this was years later, there was some sort of ad put in the newspaper. Um, and everybody uh, got, uh, we're hopeful that she was still alive. I know that was part of that disappearance as well. Um, Kathy never heard of Robin Graham. Well, there, Kathy, you have something to do tonight. You could look up a disappearance you've never heard about in your general area of California. Carrie, November 15th, 1970, 101 Freeway. Thank you very much. There we go. November 15th, I would have been one, two, three and a half months old. Okay. But the, the Idaho massacre. There's really nothing to talk about. There's nothing going on. And I'm going to continue to say this to everybody. I've said this last week. I've said it privately since last week. Nobody should be surprised if this investigation goes on for a while and they don't name anybody. Nobody should be surprised to that. We have to remember the Pike County massacre. More people were killed in more different, in different locations. And it took them like five years to figure out what happened. So do not hold your breath regarding this investigation. I saw the parents are complaining about the police. Things do not happen like they do on TV. I know these people are damaged. I feel horrible for them. Horrible. It's, it's very sad. But this is reality and things take time. And unfortunately... It very well may be that it goes a while, and we also might have to be open to the idea that these killings are never solved. Just because they know the weapon and all these things does not mean it'll be solved. Doesn't mean anything. Uh, Ferry says, I was never allowed to let an unknown man help me if my car broke down. Well, she might not have had a choice, Ferry. It's hard to say. And it subs does seem to me here in the 21st century are much more aware of these things than maybe in 1970. Or a combination of my mom's maiden name and my last name. I love it. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Orky Wheat, for explaining. Orky Wiki, Orky Wheat 1 for explaining that. Thank you. Moving on, I want to talk about, I don't know if you've seen this story, but this attack on an uh, electrical transformer in North Carolina. I want to read about this. These kind of things kept my attention. Authorities have announced a mandatory curfew in a North Carolina county where around 40,000 customers lost power after two power substations were damaged by gunfire Saturday night. So this is two days ago. The county will implement a mandatory curfew from 9 p.m. until 5 a.m. starting Sunday night. Municipality and county officials have formed a plan for the night and the next few nights that we may be out of power. It's a very serious situation, uh, Sheriff Ronnie Field said. So we've come to an agreement to best protect our citizens and to protect the businesses of our county. We're going to implement a curfew. A state of emergency went into effect at 4 p.m. Sunday as law enforcement, city, and energy officials are investigating the incident and working to restore the two substations. Law enforcement has also been providing security for the, uh, for the stations. The power outage is being investigated as a criminal occurrence after crews found signs of potential vandalism at several locations. 
Field said multiple rounds were fired at the two substations. It was targeted. It wasn't random. No suspects have been identified in connection with the incident. Fields will not say if the criminal activity was domestic terrorism. The person or persons who did this knew exactly what they were doing. We don't have a clue why Moore County, Fields, the sheriff said. Fields acknowledged a woman who posted on Facebook Sunday morning indicating she had been questioned by law enforcement in connection with the incident. Fields did not name the woman, but said she posted false information on social media claiming to have information about the incident. And uh, if you really want to know what that was, what this woman said was um, that this was caused by this county allowing it was something political that this county was going to be allowing, uh, you know, cross-dressers or transgendered people to do some show. And there were people who didn't want it to go on. So as, so as to shot, stop the show, they shut up these transformers to cut out the electricity. So the show couldn't happen. Yes, really. That's, that's the story. Anyway. Um, the sheriff went on to say, we don't have anything, no motivation, no group has stepped up to acknowledge or accept they're, they're the ones who did it. A gate at one of the locations also appears to have been taken off its hinges. Uh, the area has experienced increased emergency, uh, emergency calls due to lack of power, adding that auto accidents have occurred because traffic lights are out. People who rely on oxygen have placed emergency calls. So it's really uh, causing a lot of problems. The estimated cost of the substation damage is in the millions. Restoration to the two substations could take until Thursday for some customers. We're going to be working around the clock, all hands on deck, to get power back on as quickly as possible, Jeff Brooks said, principal communication managers for Duke Energy. Duke Energy will continue to work with Morris Sheriff's Office and county officials to support the investigation. Now, uh, it's a very, very long article. So somebody came along and shot these substations up. Now, what you should know is this is not the first time this has happened in the United States. And I'm going to read you from the Wikipedia article on the previous occurrence of this, and I should tell you, it is still unsolved nine years later. On, a, on April 16th, 2013, an attack was carried out on Pacific Gas and Electric Company's Metcalf transmission substation in coyote california which is in northern california near the border of san jose the attack in which gunmen fired on 17 electrical transformers resulted in more than 15 million dollars worth of equipment damage but it had little impact on the station's electrical power power supply and then they go through the timeline um former chairman of Federal Energy Regulatory Commission John Wellington stated that military experts informed him that the assault looked like a professional job, noting that no fingerprints were discovered on the empty casings. While Willingoff described the attack as the most significant incident of domestic terrorism involving the grid that has ever occurred, a spokesman for the Federal Bureau investigation stated that they did not believe a terrorist organization was responsible. In October 2015, so two years later, it was reported that the Department of Homeland Security has found indications that the attack may have been committed by an insider. So once again, this was from nine years ago, nine and a half years ago in San Jose, California. Very similar type of attack occurred. And still, all this time later, 
nobody has been charged. And uh, the kind of weapons that were used were what we might call us in the uh, kind of in the gun world, what we call AK uh, weapons. They were shooting um, what would they call seven by six, two by what? 36. Um, is that what it is? Uh, but seven by six, two millimeter shells with uh, uh, bullets, with, which come out of AK kind of guns. So like Russian slash Soviet Union type guns. And, but like I said, like this article said for the attack from 2013, it is believed it was an inside job. And I've read about this over the years. And the way I remember it is that some of the employees who were unionized were not happy that they were bringing in non-union people or something like that. And then all of the sudden, this happened. What's interesting about this, they actually have video of this attack. Of course, it happened at night, and you can actually see uh, the bullet flashes glancing off what they were shooting at, and then it just stops. It's, there was like a flashlight that signaled to start, and then they shot for several seconds, and this flashlight came on again, and they stopped. Uh, but the reason they believed it was an inside job is that there was like a gate that had been busted open and somebody who only knew, really, really knew the property well would have known about it. But still, nine and a half years later, still unsolved. Like, you know, maybe we could compare this to the Idaho massacre. That this seems, you know, they have the bullets, they have this video. It seems like, I mean, how many people really would have tried to do this? And still it's unsolved. So we cannot get caught up just because there's a lot of evidence that something is going to be solved. I think that the the uh, example I gave last week was the murder of Missy Beavers. You have the killer on video for several minutes. We know how she was killed. We know when the killer got there. We know the movements of Missy Beaver that morning, and we know why she was holding her yoga class inside instead of outside and all of that. Still unsolved. So these are the types of things that you just never know what's going to go. Now, what am I supposed to think about North Carolina? Very well could be the same thing. There may be things that uh, this Duke Energy company, um, in fact, I think Duke Energy is what I have right here in this condo, but very well could be there's some ticked off employees. And that's a good way to shut everything down and get everybody's attention by shooting something up and people lose power and then people start maybe paying more attention to what's going on at the company. There may be some sort of uh, employee rift. Maybe some people are getting laid off. They're not happy about it. Certainly possible. Of course, on the other hand, could have just been some drunk guy uh, out there just shooting, uh, you know, just shooting a gun. That's possible too. Um. But this does show, at least here in the United States, that we do have a power grid that, you know, is susceptible to these things. It doesn't take uh, a criminal mastermind or a James Bond villain or anybody like that to just pull up with a gun that anybody can buy and start shooting at some transformer and um, causing it to malfunction doesn't take any expert gun knowledge or electrical knowledge or anybody, anything else to do that. All it takes is the want to do it 
and uh, maybe not mind getting caught. So, and this has been something that's been talked about in the United States for a while. We have, we have a very sophisticated electrical system. And if you watch any videos or have read anything about, uh, of course, attacks on the United States or, of course, most country, other countries have a grid similar to ours, that one of the ways to take out very technologically advanced civilizations is to go after their electrical system. And so, uh, especially since September 11th, this has become kind of a thing. You know, how do we make our grid um, more secure? It's a little hard. You got to, you know, we have all these electrical lines running out in the middle of nowhere. If somebody uh, wants to do it, they can do it. And uh, um, yes, the one retirement. Uh, ugly-minded people. Carrie says, ugly-minded people do ugly-minded things. Ugly things. Ferry says, yes, the one retired investigator from New York City said this is very normal. They're just getting back forensics now. Uh, Lisa, Ferry, my Pinto broke down on the way back to college, and I had to let a stranger man take me to a gas station Easter Sunday. Oh, my goodness. Well, that you were uh, – that your a Pinto broke down is not a surprise, Lisa. Uh, Mark, we take things like the power grid for granted. Electricity is always there. So we just think how our world would be without it until it's gone. Mark, that's so true. And people, of course, people two hours south of me are still finding out about that because of Hurricane Ian. Went through there. Just, uh, I think there are places that still don't have any electricity. And that was what, two months ago. Yep. We do take for granted the internet and the lights that are on and this computer. And <clears throat> we are, I think we have a lot of good people who care about our electrical safety in the United States, but you can't cover everything. These transformers have to be put in particular areas, and it, I don't think it's economically feasible to keep guards at all of them. And even if you have cameras, it didn't stop them. It didn't stop these people out in San Jose from nine years ago, even if you have cameras, uh, video cameras on all of these locations, that doesn't mean much either. But uh, we just need a robust electrical system uh, grid that uh, if one part of it is damaged, that another part can take up the slack. And unfortunately, one of the reasons that we have had these big blackouts that we know from uh, U.S. history, like going back to like 1977 in, in the Northeast or even uh, in 2003 when a lot of New York City in that area lost power is because something happens and something's supposed to back up this other grid and it doesn't and everything overloads. And before you know it, it's like a cascade effect and suddenly millions and millions of people are out without electricity. And those are the things that we really have to avoid. Something like this. I don't know how you can stop people with guns shooting up transformers if they feel like it. But we, what we can stop is uh, a lot of people being affected by it. Um, and Sharice says, can't forget the freeze here in Texas. That's right. 
The Texas uh, grid got taken down by unusually cold and freezy temperatures. How long ago? Was that a couple years ago, Sheree? When was that? I remember that. That's the opposite. We're usually we think of power outages in the United States. We think during the summer. We hear about brownouts in, in California and elsewhere. But for uh, Texas, yeah, that was a huge mess, Sheree. And that's like even worse. If the power goes out during the summer, yeah, your air conditioning, you don't have an air conditioning, but there are ways around that. But I don't know how many – of course, it still can be lethal, but when, but when the power goes out in the den of winter, that is certainly uh, way more dangerous. Uh, the Real says, ours got taken down by bats somehow. There in Australia, you've got those – uh, crazy stories coming out of Australia. The real, I, it's, um, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by that. In fact, maybe, you know, now that you wrote that, the real, uh, I might have even read about that somewhere. Because I, I have to admit, along with plane crashes and disappearances, uh, I do take an interest in power outage stories or, um, Things that uh, seem to be not necessarily domestic terror, not you know terrorism as we understand it here in the 21st century, but domestic terrorism or vandalism, something like that, uh, that seems to be very really unique. And something I'm thinking of back in the 1990s, um, part of a rail. A train track was vandalized out in the middle of nowhere in Arizona. Maybe if Jill, uh, our resident expert on Arizona, Jill, is in here. I don't think she is. But um, back in the 1990s, somebody went out into the middle of nowhere where a train track was and disconnected a rail in a way that it would not tip off the alert system. And a train came along and derailed. And there was a note left behind, like, it was like, I think it was Sons of the Gestapo or something. That's still unsolved. Still unsolved. So those kinds of stories uh, over the course of uh, anything that I, if I ever run into a story like that, it, it always catches my attention. Uh, Carrie says, Squirrel Friday uh, substation has happened several times here. Well, you do live in Missouri, Carrie. So, I mean... That explains it right there. So we got uh, this power company, these transformers attacked, people without power. Um, just, uh, uh, you don't know right now. Could have been something that was very targeted or it could have just been a drunk with a gun. We just don't know. Uh, last article I want to talk about before we get to Friday's episode is very local to me, uh, and I have to admit that um, I still want to cover these disappearances. Technically, they're still disappearances, but it's right here in the Tampa area, and it has to do with a serial killer. Um, Steven Lorenzo, who has for two decades lingered at the center of one of the most notorious and shocking criminal cases in Tampa history, says he wants to plead guilty to two murder charges and accept a death sentence. And yes, we do kill people here in Florida. In a 16-page handwritten court paper he recently penned from jail, 
Lorenzo expressed his wish, wish to withdraw his not guilty pleas to charges that he murdered Jason Galehouse and Michael Wachholz in December 2003 at his Seminole Heights home. I know where that is. He says he wants to plead guilty, have a judge sentence him to death, and waive his right to appeal. The only explanation he, he gives is his apparent pessimism about his chances of success in a trial. In a note to the judge, he wrote, regardless of whether or not there would have been a trial, the end results were proved to be identical, simply because the defendant has no intention of taking the witness stand under oath or at a trial. Therefore, the state's case against the defendant would have gone unchallenged anyway. He reiterated his uh, wishes in a court hearing Friday morning before Hillsborough Circuit Judge Christopher Sabella. Uh, Sabella? Sabella. Uh, Hillsborough County is where Tampa is. I knew what I wanted to do with this case right from the beginning, Lorenzo said. All along, he said he just wanted to be able to scrutinize the evidence against him, but it took him a while to get access to all of it. The judge asked him a series of questions meant to ensure Lorenzo understood the consequences of his decision. You realize that there are only two possible sentences to your police, Abella said, life or execution at the hands of the Department of Corrections. Exactly, Lorenzo said. He said he was fine with either one, that the federal uh, prison sentence he's already serving was effectively a life sentence and that at his age, he didn't mind death. It doesn't bother me, he said. The unusual request marks a strange and abrupt turn in the long-running case. Uh, in a missive he filed a year ago, Lorenzo indicated that he wished to plead no contest to the charges if prosecutors would agree to a life sentence. He denied killing anyone and called the death penalty childish and ridiculous. The state declined his plea offer then. Prosecutors, in a response to Lorenzo's last request, wrote that they're fine with it as long as his decision is made knowingly and intelligently. The only caveat, wrote Assistant State Attorney Daryl Dirks, is that a man, a judge, must still conduct a penalty hearing to evaluate the case's aggravating and mitigating factors in any legally required pre-sentence reports. Lorenzo, 63, was convicted in 2005 in federal court of using GHB, the date rape drug, widely known as a date rape drug, to facilitate sexual assaults against several men, including Gail House and Wachholz. Prosecutors said that he and another man, Scott Schweikert, fantasized in online chats about drugging and murdering men, then went out and did it. Gail Hulse and Walkholtz finished on back-to-back nights, vanished on back-to-back nights in December 2003 after they each visited a Tampa nightclub. And I believe these men uh, were gay. Schweikert later confessed that the men were taken to Lorenzo's home where they were drugged, sexually tortured, and ultimately killed. He said they dismembered Gail Hulse's body with an electric saw in Lorenzo's garage and disposed of the body parts in trash bins throughout Tampa. They placed Walkholt's body in his Jeep. Uh, where'd that go? And drove it to a West Hillsborough apartment complex where it was abandoned. The killings and the contemporaneous evidence disappearance of several other gay men in the Tampa area, Tampa area struck fear in the region's uh, LBGPTQ community and demands for answers. Lorenza Lowe and Schweikert both later went to a federal prison for the drug convictions. And in but it took years for state prosecutors to assemble enough evidence to bring murder charges. Schweikert in 2016 agreed to plead guilty to his role in the crimes and testify against Lorenzo. Schweikert was later was sentenced to life in prison. Lorenzo has refused the assistance of lawyers since he returned to a local jail five years ago from the federal prison where he was serving a 200-year sentence. 
He has chosen instead to manage his own defense. He's filed his own court paperwork, uh, which tends to incorporate both typical legal verbiage alongside language commonly associated with the sovereign citizen movement. Attorneys Brian Gonzalez and Nick Sonardi have for five years acted as standby counsel to Lorenzo. Um, ready to take over the case if he decides he no longer wants to represent himself. In court Friday, they both told the judge that they tried to talk to him out of pleading guilty. Lorenzo confirmed to try to change his mind. He was steadfast. These guys are great, he said with a laugh. They're too good. The judge explained to Lorenzo that he couldn't just sentence him to death. He said there is a legal process that still has to be followed, including the presentation of evidence of the aggravating factors and mitigating circumstances, facts that would weigh against the death penalty. Sabella said he would appoint a consultant to present mitigation on Lorenzo's behalf. He set a new hearing date for Tuesday morning. Tyler Butler, a close friend of Gale House and Carrie West, the president of Tampa Pride, expressed dismay after observing Friday's hearing. 19 years, Butler said. Why all of a sudden now? Both said they were skeptical of Lorenzo's intentions. I would think right now that there's going to be another great big hiccup Tuesday, West said. It's not going to be the ending to this. There is a surprise happening. Now, you should know that is the end of the article. Thank you for listening to all of that. But yes, um, I uh, when I first started Unfound, uh, I started really looking at um, disappearances here in Pinellas County. I live in Pinellas County where Clearwater, St. and St. Pete are. And then across the bay, across the three different causeways is Tampa, which is where Tampa, the city of Tampa is, where the football stadium is, where the airport is. That's Hillsborough County. I live in Pinellas County. And when I first started putting Unfound together, I started looking at all of the disappearances. I made a list of disappearances that it happened in this area. And that's when I came upon all of these men who went missing kind of around the same time. And those are just two. I think there are at least a few more. And it was certainly uh, shown uh, that this Lorenzo guy and the Schweiker guy were serial killers, but these men are still missing. And uh, going back and lo- uh, looking at, um, Articles at the time, it, I think everybody got on, caught on pretty quickly that there was somebody within this community, within the gay community, uh, going to these clubs, taking these men um, back, you know, out of there for whatever, and then drugging them and killing them. And you can go back and, like I said, find uh, articles on newspapers.com and elsewhere where this became obvious uh, fairly, fairly quickly. And it's very, very sad. The weird thing is that as you've – this is only one cluster of murders. Uh, this is one of a few different clusters of murders that are unsolved in this Tampa area. Now, you know one of the other ones because we covered the disappearance of Patsy Action. I continue to believe that she and some of these other women – in that 1979 to 1981 time frame uh, here in Pinellas County, I think they were all done by the same guy. All very similar circumstances, similar women, and with cars being left at certain places. And, um, you know, one of the women was picked up 
not far from where I lived down in Madeira Beach, right up the street from where I lived in Madeira Beach. Uh, one of the women was kidnapped. She was working her family's furniture store. She was taken right out of the store during business hours, um, kind of over by where my brother and his wife lived. And in a few of these, their cars ended up elsewhere, just like Patsy Actions did. She was disappeared from one place, but then her car is found somewhere else. So I believe that there was certainly some sort of serial killer um, working at the time. Still don't know who that is, but there have been some articles written about who it might have been. I'm still inclined to believe it was it's somebody who is unknown. But then there's also a cluster of black women who went missing and who were surely murdered. And that guy's they know who did it. And that guy's still walking around a free man. So we have like these at least three clusters of killings over like the last 40 years. So we have like gay men, young white women, and then young black women. And surely all done by different person or different groups. And it seems these are solved. Unfortunately, these men are still missing. And if it's true what Lorenzo said that that um you know they took a power saw to at least one of these guys, if we're to believe that, then I don't I don't I don't know where to even go with that. Uh I, I'm of course hoping that he's lying, he's just making it up, but maybe he isn't. Um so we've had some stuff go on here in the Tampa area over the last 40 years. And that doesn't even, that doesn't even count Oba Chandler who uh, killed three women, took them out on his boat and then tied them all up and threw them overboard. Doesn't even count him. He got put to death here in Florida. So a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, True crime wise, serial killer wise, disappearance wise here in Pinellas County. So um, what's everybody saying? Uh, Mark says there was a gay serial killer here in the mid eighties through the mid nineties in the Indianapolis area. Uh, uh, They're still digging up bones from the property where he lived. Um, So I guess they caught him, Mark. Um, Maybe you can just quickly tell us how did they end up catching that guy? And maybe you want to maybe put his name here. Carrie sounds very Ted Bundy esque. Yeah, Carrie. Um, you mean in regard to Patsy Action and these other women? I guess maybe. Um, I think that the Idaho killings have kind of brought Ted Bundy back to into every money mind, everybody's mind again. Although, like I stated last week, I think that these killings are much more like the other guy who killed um, some students up at Gainesville. Uh, Mark, Herb Baumeister, he killed himself when it started to unravel in the mid-90s. I don't recognize that name, I don't think. Okay. So I wanted to tell you about that. Uh, if you were not aware that there was uh, Lorenzo and this other guy going around um, making gay men disappear in the early 2000s in the Tampa area, if you didn't know about that, that was a thing. Um, the guy on trial. Okay. Oh, Lorenzo. Okay. Thank you, Carrie. All right. Well, we're just about done for tonight, but I still have to tell you about Friday's episode. 
The guest for this Friday's episode will be my good friend, friend of the program, Dr. Grace Telesco. I will be interviewing her tomorrow at 3 p.m. on Zoom, so it will be both audio and video. And we're all going to get to know Dr. Telesco really, really well. Um, Of course, many of you have seen her. I've been on her show, and mainly that's how you know her. I've been on her show so many times that it just occurred to me, like within the last month or so, you know, I've been on her show so many times it would be proper for her, I, me to have her on Unfound to talk about her. <laughs> and I, I am a little ashamed that it took me all this time to figure that out. But I sent her over an outline and she improved it. And so we're going to go, you know, <coughs> how did she become a New York uh, police, uh, New York City police officer? And uh, we're going to talk about September 11th. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, friends and colleagues that she lost on that day and her uh, recollection. We're going to, of course, talk about um, being in law enforcement in the 21st century. Maybe we're going to talk about the changes she saw from starting like in the 80s up until she retired. Of course, now she is a professor. We're going to talk about education regarding law enforcement. We're, I'm going to be asking her some um, – I put some uh, samples of questions that I want to ask her, and she goes, wow, these are great questions. And so she's really looking forward to answering some of the questions that I put in the outline. We're going to talk about how she became a professor at Nova Southeastern University. We're going to talk about her love of filmmaking. She's really, really into filmmaking. You may, you Maybe you don't know that. So we can identify with each other uh, on that level because, of course, I used to be an independent filmmaker in Las Vegas. Um, we're going to talk about her faith. Uh, if anybody follows her uh, personal page on Facebook, you know that she's a very religious, very spiritual person. She uh, believes in all denominations and faiths and points of view to getting along. And uh, she does not shy away from that uh, on her private page. I don't know how much of a role that plays in her education in class or anything, but certainly uh, it plays a huge role in her private life. So we're going to be covering a lot, a lot, a lot of ground for this uh, for this episode this Friday. Just thought it was time. We're not going to be talking about any disappearances on Friday. Um, but I am doing another, I'm doing another interview though tomorrow evening. So I'm interviewing Dr. Telesco at three and then I'm interviewing somebody else at six. And then I have another interview to do on Friday at 9am. And, um, I suppose I could say this right now, uh, for the first time since March of 2017, Unfound is going to have a two part episode and that will be occurring uh, those will be the December 16th and December 23rd uh, Fridays. So it'll be part one on December 16th and on the 23rd, part two. And it's really because I'm interviewing two different people. To, uh, the reason I'm doing this, two, uh, a couple, uh, a young man and woman went missing. 
and I'm interviewing the woman's family, uh, her sister, and then I'm interviewing the um, the brother and sister of the young man who went missing. And so obviously, and it's a very, 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 very intricate, difficult uh, couple of disappearances because there are a lot of people who believe these two disappearances are connected to a wider, let's just call it killing spree. So we have a lot to cover. And so I made a uh, command uh, level decision, a dictator level decision that uh, we're going to do a first two parter in five and a half years. Very, very rare. You know, I just don't mind episodes being four hours long, but I think these disappearances deserve it. And once you hear what they are, you will all understand. You'll say, you know, Ed, I think Ed made the perfect decision regarding that. Beginning back to Friday, Dr. Grace Telesco, we're going to get to know her very well. I can assure you that in this interview, I even know I'm going to find out a lot of new things about her. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, it's, uh, you know, of everything, uh, you know, getting to talk to somebody who was there on September 11th on the police force, seeing it firsthand and and the, what that city went through. Um along with everything else that she has done with her life. And Dr. Delesco is a very, very impressive woman. So it's going to be a great talk and that will bring that to you on Friday. Really looking forward to it. Uh, she's, uh, uh, I could, she has probably been one of the most influential people in my life over the last two years, for sure. All right. Well, that's it. That is the live show for December 5th, 2022. Did a lot of stuff, talked about, Personal stuff, uh, took some questions from all you that were excellent. I admitted that my number one song for 2022 was Erotic City by Prince. Who would have thunk that? Talked about the Brandon Rashar poll, Unfound Now, Nico Lisi, Unfound on the Ground. State of the podcast meeting uh, we're having uh, later this month. Talked about the serial killer from Tampa. Talked uh, about a, a very sad story of Athena Strand. Uh, the Idaho Massacre, no real new news. Uh, attack on the grid did a little, little explain, explanation on that and maybe you want to go back and um take a look at the other uh attack on the grid from 2013 in the san jose area and i just want to remind everybody of that name um uh, robin graham was the missing woman a young woman who went missing in la in 1970 that i was thinking of early earlier that's uh all please give this video a thumbs up Please give this podcast a very nice review wherever you may be, and you will see and hear me on Friday for Dr. Telesco's episode. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much.